listen to what the Lord God commands of you. Worship the Lord and do all that he commands. Love him, serve him with all your heart, and obey all his laws. I am giving them to you today for your benefit. To the Lord belong everything. To the Lord belong even the highest heavens. The earth is his also, and everything on it. But the Lord's love for your ancestors was so strong that he chose you instead of any other people. So then, from now on, be obedient to the Lord and stop being stubborn. The Lord your God is supreme over all gods and over all power. He is great and mighty, and he is to be obeyed. He does not show partiality, and he does not accept bribes. He makes sure that orphans and widows are treated fairly. He loves the foreigners who live with our people and gives them food and clothes. So then, show love for those foreigners, because you were once foreigners in Egypt. Have reverence for the Lord your God and worship only him. Be faithful to him and make your promises in his name alone. Praise him, he is your God, and you have seen with your own eyes the great and astounding things that he has done for you. When your ancestors went to Egypt, there were only seventy of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. You're in his Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim. Here we stand at the beginning of our Lenten journey, embarking upon the move from ministry to resurrection. It makes sense then that today's text comes from the book of Deuteronomy, as God's people stood on the cusp of entering the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. This book, that is Deuteronomy, is comprised largely of Moses' final three sermons at the end of his life, in which he admonishes the people not to forget what can happen in a single lifetime, the change that can come in just one generation. If anyone should know the truth of that statement, it's Moses. But to recognize that, we need to go back to the beginning. At the beginning of Moses' life, Pharaoh had commanded all the midwives to kill the babies of the Hebrew women because he feared that they would come to overpower him and his people. When faithful midwives instead feared God, their numbers continued to grow. Pharaoh first pressed the people into work camps and then into full enslavement. It was into this place Moses was born. We all know the story of his mother weaving a little basket in a desperate attempt to save her child, and how his sister ensured that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing before she placed him in the river. We all know that Moses grew up in a palace, knowing yet from where he came, making him one who fit neither into Egyptian culture or Hebrew culture. We know how he fled Egypt after killing an Egyptian and how he ended up in Midian, settling down as a shepherd. Sometime later, God came to Moses in a theophany, appearing as a bush that was burning but not consumed. 
It was here that God told Moses he must go back to the place from which he had fled. He must go before his adoptive grandfather and oppose him and declare that Pharaoh must let Moses' people go. Pharaoh, of course, refuses and God intervenes, sending ten plagues to demonstrate that the God of the Israelites is more powerful than any man who thinks he is a God. We all know that after the tenth plague, Pharaoh relents after his own firstborn son dies. And he sends the people away with their flocks and anything else they can carry, including the dough they had needed that morning for their evening meal, still in their kneading bowls. The people escape from Egypt before Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his horses and chariots to pursue them. He prefers the suffering of his people to losing his free labor force, apparently. We all know that when they came to the Red Sea, God tells Moses to hold up his arms so the people may cross safely on dry land, and he does, and they do. We all know that Pharaoh's army pursues and is lost in the waters when Moses drops his arms. Safe from further threat of Egypt, the people sojourn in the wilderness and eventually return to Mount Sinai, the place where God first called Moses. For 40 years, Moses leads the people along with his brother Aaron and sister Miriam. They establish a way of being in community when God gives the Ten Commandments. Yet in that place, still the people grumble. They grumble for other food when they have manna. They grumble for meat and leeks because they find God's provision insufficient, proclaiming that the bondage of slavery is preferable to their hunger. Even so, God is faithful to the covenant and continues to call the people back to it. Time and again, the people forget their God and turn to idol worship and idol chatter. And then, like in the story I read to the children, Moses sends 12 spies into the land of promise, one from each of Israel's tribes. Ten spies say the task is impossible. The Canaanites are too large and too strong. They're too well-established and too fully armed for this small band of people to overtake. Only two spies descent, Joshua and Caleb. These two remember the power of their God. They, however, cannot persuade the others, and the punishment for the people is severe. Since they so badly wish to stay where they are, this generation will perish before the next may enter the land. Sometime later, too, Moses gets angry with the people and strikes a rock that God had told him only to speak to. 